if you would open your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, verses 4 through 12. Please hear the word of God. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Let's pray. Almighty God, I do pray that today, as we have read your word, that you would remind us, as we see the power of the word demonstrated, Uh, in the preaching of uh, Paul and Barnabas. I pray that you would remind us of the power of the Word and that you would help us to remember that the Word of God is powerful for the salvation of all who believe, first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. Father, I pray that you would uh, help us to give attention to your word today. And may your word have its full effect and intended um, uh, effect on, on our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're beginning a new transition in the book of Acts. I am especially excited about this particular transition. First of all, I'm excited because in verse 9... Uh, Saul is called Paul. So in verse 9, But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. You've seen how I've struggled over the past weeks to call Saul Paul, and how I intend to call him Saul because that's what the text in the earlier chapters has been calling him, but I always um, uh, give over to calling him Paul instead. So I'm excited about that. Now I will no longer have to struggle because throughout the rest of the book of Acts, he's called Paul. But secondly, I'm excited because uh, this uh, passage in particular begins the first of Paul's three missionary journeys. From Acts chapter 13 through Acts chapter 20, we're going to be tracing Paul's journeys as uh, he goes on these, as he goes about his missionary work preaching the gospel. Um, in Asia Minor and then over into 
um, into Europe as he preaches in Greece and those, those different places on his missionary journeys. So this is one of my favorite sections of the Bible. I hope, uh, as best I am able, to make these uh, missionary journeys, his missionary activities, come alive as much as possible so that we can all experience together what it was like for Paul to travel around the world proclaiming Jesus Christ. As we saw last week, uh, Paul and Barnabas were set apart by God to go on this missionary journey. So to remind you, if you will look at your text in chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. It occurs to me that one of the greatest hindrances that people have in going to do missions or giving their, their life's work over to, uh, to doing missionary work is the question, will God make me effective? Will He use me to bring people to Jesus Christ? Well, if God calls you, you can know that whatever level of success you have or whatever level of struggle you have, if God has called you, He is in your work and that you will have the success that He desires for you to have. And you respond, well... God doesn't speak to us audibly like He spoke to to Saul and Barnabas. He doesn't say, set these men apart. Or He doesn't say, set me apart to send me. So how can I know that God's calling me? How do I know that God is going to use His Word? Do you know that the modern missionary uh, movement was started by Calvinists? Um, William Carey, Hudson Taylor, um, Adoram Judson, David Livingston, Jonathan Goforth, David Brainerd, and we could go on and on and on. These men believed that God had elected a people from every tribe, from every tongue, from every language, from every nation. And it was their job then to go out and through the preaching of the gospel, God would use them to draw these people whom God had chosen before the creation of the world to draw them to Himself. They didn't hear God speaking in an audible voice. But they heard God speaking in the Scriptures. They heard Him speaking clearly. And I've got... We could go... The whole rest of the sermon just listing scriptures of God's promises to draw in people from all nations. We could go back as far as uh, Genesis chapter 12 as God is speaking to Abraham. But I'm skipping ahead and just picking just two or three since we can't look at all these verses. But Psalm 86, the psalmist there says, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord. Nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. And these early missionaries, um, 
they knew this, that God was, had a people from all nations that He would draw to Himself. Isaiah 45, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me there is no God. I equip you, though, I do, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Or Zechariah chapter 2 verse 11 and, and, and many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people and I will dwell in your midst and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you they knew that God had peoples scattered throughout all the nations and it was their job as they felt God calling them to go and simply preach this powerful gospel of Jesus Christ and that His people would come. So in Revelation chapter 5, up in heaven they were singing, Excuse me, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God, or people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. God has His people scattered throughout the nations. He has His people, His elect who have not come to Him, scattered throughout Brandon. Our job is to proclaim Jesus Christ. And God will draw those people to Himself. God is still gathering His elect through the preaching of the Gospel. The Great Commission is just as relevant, just as necessary, just as authoritative as the day that Jesus Christ gave it to the church. Let's look at the text. Paul and Barnabas, we find in verse 4, and also their young assistant, John Mark, were sent out from, uh, from Antioch. They traveled 16 miles to their west to the uh, port city of Seleucia. And Seleucia was on the Mediterranean Sea. And there they bound a ship that was bound for the island of Cyprus. Cyprus is a, a fairly large island in the Mediterranean Sea. It's about 130 miles uh, west of Syria. So about 130 miles uh, west, south, southwest of, um, of where they set sail. And Cyprus is a fairly large island. Uh, it's about 140 miles long. And Cyprus has been uh, an important island uh, throughout history because it's situated as the Mediterranean Sea comes around and Asia Minor is here and the Middle East is here. Cyprus is situated here. And so it becomes uh, a stopover as people are trading between Asia Minor also coming over from, from Europe. They might stop there and as they travel on to the Middle East. So uh, Cyprus is an important uh, uh, crossroads and so God is sending Paul and Barnabas and John Mark there to evangelize the island so that as the people from around the world pass through on their way as they're uh, on their ships and they stop over 
they can hear the gospel and then they can take the gospel back with them to the countries to which they were traveling. But Paul and Barnabas, as they are there, their first activity is not to find the Gentiles scattered about. Their first activity, their first priority was to go from uh, Jewish synagogue to Jewish synagogue there on the island of Cyprus. And so on the Sabbath day, and the Sabbath of course was Saturday and not Sunday because this is a Jewish synagogue, uh, they would go there to worship. But because Paul was a well-credentialed Pharisee, he was allowed to stand up and speak. And when he would stand up and speak, he would begin reasoning from the Scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. As we read through the book of Acts, we find that it was Paul's uh, habit to uh, spend about four weeks at a synagogue. And so each Sabbath he would come in and, and preach Christ. And he would stay there the four weeks unless, of course, the Jews got so angry uh, that they ran him off. And that happened uh, quite, quite a few times, as we will see as we move through the book of Acts. But as they went from synagogue to synagogue, as they were traveling uh, from city to city, they would also preach the gospel to Gentiles. The question arose in my mind, why did they go to, Gen- why did they go to the syn- synagogues first? First of all, that's God's plan. Uh, you know Romans 1, 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so Paul, in keeping with God's plan, was taking the gospel to the Jews first, And once they rejected it, then he would also go to the Gentiles. But I think there was a second reason why they were going to uh, the Jewish synagogues. And uh, this really um, came to me as I reflected on a conversation I had this week uh, with someone here in the community. And that was, they were looking for low-hanging fruit. Where else are you going to find so many people gathered in one place with a with a a lot of Bible knowledge. Now their knowledge was inaccurate. They misunderstood what they were reading uh, as they read the Old Testament. But you had all these Jews that were in one place that that understood the Bible. And then Paul would come in and show them from the Old Testament how Jesus was the Messiah. And invariably, many Jews within the congregation would become believers and would turn to Jesus Christ, which then thereafter, pretty quickly, the Jews that remained who were unconverted would run Paul and Barnabas off because um, their fellow congregation members or synagogue members were, were coming to Christ. And so I think from that we can learn that it is a good strategy to find where the low-hanging fruit is and then go and harvest it. You know, it wouldn't be our best strategy to go and find, um, you know, the uh, the local atheist gathering place to go and preach Christ. That that's not low hanging fruit. So where might we find low hanging fruit here in Brandon? 
certainly children are some of the lowest hanging fruit we have here in the community. Plus we have the Westminster Academy with what 70 or more children, 70 to 90 children that are there every week. Uh, And so one of the ways that we look to harvest that fruit is we have our vacation Bible school. And I'm being very practical here uh, with Billy, our former youth pastor, away at seminary, uh, and with Rose Devine having a job. We are now looking for a vacation Bible school director. Uh, for our program this year. Vacation Bible School doesn't start. Uh, We're not having it until August, the first week in August. So we've got time, but the time is now. And so we are looking for Vacation Bible School directors. If... um, And we don't want to take our teachers out of the classroom to make them the directors. So what we're looking for is we are looking for some of our seniors who have directed vacation Bible schools uh, in years past so that um, that the younger uh, teachers might be able to stay in the classroom. So if... I would ask you to pray about that. Maybe a team of a couple of ladies or maybe a couple... But we do need a director now for our Vacation Bible School. And just to encourage you, uh, Rose Devine has done such a masterful job. We have this notebook that tells you everything that you're supposed to do. We call it the VBS Bible. And, uh, and all the work's already done for you. You just need to keep us pointed in the right direction. So uh, we have a need and we are looking for someone to fill it so that we can pick that low-hanging fruit. I remember last year I was teaching in, um, I was the Bible teacher in one of the classes. And this girl, like six or seven, didn't go to our church, looked at me and she said, How can I have a relationship with Jesus? That's why we had vacation Bible school. Since we're talking about strategy and and what Paul and Barnabas, the strategies they used as missionaries, let me underscore their main point of emphasis when they went out on their missionary journey. Their main point of emphasis we see in verse 5. They proclaimed the word of God. Verse 5, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. Proclaiming God's word is what the church is here on earth to do. How do we evangelize and make disciples? We proclaim God's word. How do we grow in our faith? We read God's word. How do we worship God? We proclaim God, or rather we proclaim back to God what we learn of Him in His word. The Word of God has centrality in the ministry of the church. We are left here on earth to proclaim Jesus Christ. We are left here on earth to proclaim God as He is revealed here in His Word. It is a sad thing that churches are substituting the centrality of the Word of God for activities. Yes, we should be doing good things. Yes, we should be showing mercy to those in need. But those activities are only for the purpose of gaining an entrance into people's lives so that we can proclaim Jesus Christ. The gospel 
is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. We never read in the Bible that faith comes from seeing Christians doing good things. We never read in the Bible that faith comes from showing mercy to those in need. Rather, we read in the Bible in Romans chapter 10 that faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. God uses His Word. It is only by means of God using His Word and His Spirit using His Word that He brings men and women and boys and girls to faith in Jesus Christ. And we do a pretty good job of that here at Westminster. We keep God's Word central. Where we need to grow is proclaiming His Word outside the doors, outside the walls of this church, out in the community where we live, work, and play. Let's go back to our text. I've gone a little far afield here. Barnabas and Paul making their way Sabbath by Sabbath. Uh, synagogue by synagogue throughout the island. In fact, they finally made it through the whole island and they came to the city of Paphos, which was on the southwest corner of the island. And there they met a proconsul named uh, Sergius Paulus and they proclaimed Christ to him. And it's evident that God is at work as they are proclaiming Christ to this proconsul. Um, because even the Jewish magician who was there serving as Paulus' um, counselor is recognizing my boss is starting to believe the gospel. And um, he realizes undoubtedly that his, his, um, um, that his influence with his boss is going to be diminished if his boss becomes a believer. And so what he tried to do was turn his boss away from the faith. Look with me at verses 6-8. through eight. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith this should not surprise us that this is happening Uh, it is to be expected that God's word will receive opposition even though the only hope that an unbeliever has of having eternal life of having a relationship with God even though the scriptures are their only lifeline so they can learn about God, they generally don't like it. Truth be told, anyone who does not know Jesus Christ has an aversion to God's truth. I'll go further. There are people who come to church and worship in a Bible-believing church so that they can keep God at arm's length. They come and are willing to hear God's word preached. Willing to hear Jesus Christ proclaimed. They even give their money. And and they are regular in attendance. And they only do that so that throughout the week they can ignore God with a clear conscience. 
the man without the Spirit does not receive the things that come from the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Romans 7, verses eight, uh, 7 and 8 uh, says... Well, let me double check. I thought I had it memorized. Ah, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor is it able, even able to do so. The man without the Spirit cannot please God. People are happy to give lip service to the Word of God until it affects their life. Until it affects their life in some way that they don't like. That's why Elymas began his his opposition, this, this um, Jewish false prophet. He would have been happy for Paul and Barnabas to come through and preach the gospel. Until his boss started to believe it. And then he realized, this is not going to be good for me. If we are proclaiming God's word effectively... We must expect opposition. What does Paul say in Second Timothy um, chapter four? Um, whoever wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Sometimes we want to make the gospel so easy for a person to believe. And, and I'm eager to do that. I don't want to put up um, unnecessary barriers. But if we make the gospel so so easy to believe, we've got to make sure that we don't water it down in the process and so that we're pre- presenting um, the gospel as a cheap counterfeit. How do you know if you've watered it down? Well, it's real simple. Do you receive opposition when you proclaim Christ? If you don't, then maybe you're not proclaiming Christ in all His truth. Then the question arises... And this will be the last question and serve as a bit of a transition into our last point. How do you overcome opposition when it comes? Well, um, we overcome opposition by hitting it head on with the Word of God. Listen to verses 9 through, 12, through 11 as Paul is, is hitting the opposition that Elymas brings to him. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Paul comes on a bit strong, don't you think? Shouldn't he have used more tact? Well, apparently not. Because Paul here is dealing with eternity. He is, he is realizing that Elymas is trying to turn Sergius Pallas away from a relationship with God. And you notice here in verse 9 that it was the Holy Spirit who was prompting Paul to say what he said. John Calvin commented on this verse. He said, If soft, effeminate men think that Paul's statement to be stormy, they do not consider how dear and precious God's truth is to God. 
As Christians, we are expected to be polite in our society. If we venture to any, if we venture to say anything that's considered stormy, um, then we are called intolerant. We might even be considered domestic terrorists. We are not to aim at controversy or confrontation. Believe me, if we are being faithful in proclaiming Christ, if we are being faithful in proclaiming God's Word, then the, um, the controversy or the confrontation will find us easily enough. The opposition will find us easily enough. Well, I haven't answered that final question that I raised a couple of moments ago. How do you overcome opposition when it comes? We are to hit it head on with the Word of God. People who say that they have intellectual opposition to God's Word in reality have emotional opposition to God. We can use every proof for God's existence that's ever been devised and we will never overcome their opposition to God and His Word until they submit their intellect, um, uh, until they submit their hearts to them, to, to God, they will never submit their intellects. The better strategy, rather than sword fighting with some intellectual uh, give and take, is rather to aim at their hearts by pointing out their sin and rebellion. You may receive opposition if you do that. Or, you may win someone to Jesus Christ. Remember Peter? Peter preached the gospel. Acts chapter 2, it says that the people were cut to the heart when he said, You put Jesus on the cross. Those people who were cut to the heart said, What must we do to be saved? Stephen preached in Acts chapter 7. And the Bible says again, the people were cut to the heart. And instead of repenting and saying, what must we do to be saved? They raged at him. They tore their clothes. They went and grabbed him, took him outside, and stoned him to death. Are you willing to be stoned to win a person to Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Almighty God... We thank you for your word that it is powerful for bringing a person from death to life. And that every word of of your Bible is dripping with your mercy. How you came to seek and to save sinners. How How you sent your son Jesus to die for them on the cross. So that we might have life and fellowship with you for eternity. God, I pray you would remind us how powerful your word is and that you would help us by faith in our weakness to proclaim it, that we might have a full harvest of fruit. For the fields are white unto harvest. And Jesus has said, pray that the Lord of harvest would send out his workers into the field. God, we talked about that the last couple of weeks. 
now we are saying send us and give us that harvest as we use your powerful word as our sickle to to harvest souls for Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.